Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I am your host. Um, if this is the first time you've tuned in to watch on What to Watch on Netflix, uh, you'll be pleased to know I have a great guest with me today. I always have an actor or a filmmaker on talking about their filmography um, or the process of filmmaking and I'm really pleased to have someone that I've uh, been watching for, for most of my life and I've admired from afar and his films are just an inspiration to me um and uh, yeah without further ado today i'm speaking to doug bradley pinhead himself hello doug uh hi how are you i'm really good thank you um you're you're, you're based over across the atlantic aren't you in pittsburgh that is correct yes that's where i'm speaking from uh right now awesome. hot and steamy pittsburgh <laughs> and um wh- why are you in pittsburgh I just I would just assume you would either be in, in LA or in in London. I get I get this all the time. It's great. People <laughs> people say to me, "So, Doug, you're you're over here now. Where are you living?" And I say, "Pittsburgh." And people go, "Pittsburgh." <laughs> um, uh, except for anyone who's lived in Pittsburgh or visited Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, um, the 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 reason why I am in Pittsburgh is. Um, sitting about uh, six or seven feet away from me. It's all about the love of a good woman. Oh, that's great. That's that's good to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you're, you're not known for, for your um, the warm side of you. You're, you're more known for the dark side of you. Um, I'm, I'm not known for what? The warm side of me? Yes. In, in your <laughs> films, anyway. In your films. <laughs> you're known for the more uh, twisted I'm side. Not, I don't... I don't tend to get hired to be to be, to be warm and fuzzy R- romantic <laughs> comedy seems to be a closed door to me um, i think you could pull it off though i really do <laughs> give, um, me, give me the chance um so let's speak about um, um obviously you're you're most known for your role as pinhead in in the hellraiser movies and now pinhead to me is one of the quintessential horror movie um villains and there's there's only i can count on one hand the the kind of the, the horror movie villains that stay with people and that people who are not even into horror will know. And obviously it's yourself, it's Chucky, it's Freddy Krueger, it's Michael Myers. Um, and then there's Pinhead. W- what makes Pinhead one of the most memorable and quintessential horror icons there is? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> well, you, you, you might be asking the wrong person i don't know i mean i you know maybe i can't see the wood for the trees sometimes um i don't know i mean i can i can talk at great length about all the different elements going on i mean Mm -hmm. i I would probably i would probably start by questioning the concept of pinhead as a villain okay he's certainly he's certainly not a nice guy um and uh approaching approaching hellraiser uh, b- b- before we filmed it and it was my first movie yeah um I, you know i i kind of had this shorthand in in my head i'm going to play the monster in a horror film how cool is that <laughs> but of course reading the screenplay and going through the process of making the film yeah he isn't really the monster in the film. He was never intended to be the monster in the film. Clive's focus in Hellraiser was all on Julia, and his thing was that he was creating 
the first great female monster in in a horror film and it's certainly true that and it's it's a familiar theme in Clive's work and it's it's mm-hmm. it's what it's entirely what Nightbreed is about which that, which you were that, also in yeah that the that the monsters are kind of the good well certainly in Nightbreed the monsters are the good guys and the humans are the monsters that's true um, yeah. and that's that's true to a degree in Hellraiser where Frank and Julia are absolutely the monsters my feeling about pinhead was that he's he's an impartial judge he's not so he's not he's not a boogeyman he's not he's he's not like freddy he's not like michael myers he's mm-hmm. not like leatherface um he's not like jason Voorhees. you know he's 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 not hiding around the corner waiting to to jump out on you and there's a very specific process here you know, if uh, you have to first of all become aware of the existence of the lament configuration, mm-hmm. you have to somehow find one. Yeah. Uh, go, th- you know, because you, you you can't just buy them with one click at Amazon. I, I don't think I've you actually tried. can. You actually can I, oh, buy you, lament configurations on Amazon right well, now. <laughs> working models? Possibly not. No. Because <laughs> if if you can i want to read those customer reviews <laughs> um, uh, um um but uh yeah so you you have to you have to find one for sale somewhere track it down mm-hmm. go through the bartering process what's your pleasure all of that um get the thing home solve it yes with the with the right motivation yeah and then maybe you get to meet Pinhead. And even then, he wants to stop and engage in polite conversation with you. <laughs> he does, yeah. uh, First of all, he wants to tease out your dark corners before he gets round to a bit of, a bit of soul ripping. So w- while I'd, I'd certainly accept that he's, he's not necessarily Mr. Nice Guy, um, uh, I... Uh, uh, you know, I, I question the idea. I mean, if you talk about a, a villain uh-huh. in a movie, yes. I mean, my mind goes to to uh, James Bond movies, or yeah. you know, Darth Vader, or or the baddies in the in the in the westerns, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or or in um, the or, or the Die Hard movies. You know, yeah. the, these are it's that's very much. Uh, a white hat, black hat world. Yeah. And I don't think Hellraiser is. I think Hellraiser is an awful lot of grey hats. Well, in in the first so, Hellraiser, you, you don't really know what the Cenobite's motivation is, really. Not, not, a, not a fucking clue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, n- 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 not a chance. Um, and what's great about the way that Clive writes it is um, when the Cenobites arrive in the hospital, mm-hmm. of course, Kirst Kirsty is is uh, is a bit nonplussed and and wants to know who they are. Yes, and Clive has them has uh, has them offer all kinds of information. We're Cenobites, uh, explorers in the further regions of experience. We're angels to some, we're demons to others. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
all all of which tells you absolutely nothing. It, it's, it, it's 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 offering stuff and it's explaining nothing. And at the end of the movie, it, you know, if you were coming out of the out of the the cinema seeing the film for the first time and somebody said to you, "What exactly is a cenobite?" <laughs> I, I I doubt you'd be able to give an answer. And I I, I and I, I'll say that with some authority because if you ask me. Now, 30 years later, yeah. what exactly is a Cenobite? I'll say, I haven't got a clue. Which is great, because that was one of my <laughs> leading questions <because laughs> I was going to ask you. Um, I mean, I guess uh, the easy answer, or the uh, the if you had to give an answer, I guess you could say they're some form of demon who um, who don't really have a, have a, a motive, really, besides inflicting yeah. pain on people. But usually it's people who we- deserve it. And who almost yes. are calling for it, but it's and it, but but it's the the reason why I'm being very careful to say it's not about black hat and white hat because yeah. it, I, I think it's quite easy to to fall very quickly into the idea that that um, that Pinhead is is a moralist or he's operating in the way that that God is supposed to operate. Um, on the day of judgment or whatever interesting you know that yeah. uh, he's and and we 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 got into this uh problem um on inferno yes uh i i was not happy with with the nature of of what what pinhead was saying i can't remember the exact lines but when he confronts um uh uh, Craig Sheffer's character at the end of the movie, yeah. he's basically saying to him, this is a good thing and this is a bad thing. And the bad thing is killing the good thing. And that's a bad thing. And you're a very naughty boy um, and you have to stop doing it. Um, and and yeah. that seemed to me to immediately put put Pinhead into, into a position of being a moralist. Is that the chess? If I remember right, is this the chess conversation where you, you say um, something about having to kill the king or something? Is that? Oh, don't don't ask don't <laughs> ask me to remember <laughs> specific dialogue now. Um, uh, but but it, that rings a, that rings a bell. Yeah. Yes, but it did, but um, uh, uh, Scott Scott Derrickson who, who wrote wrote and directed Inferno, he was very, very happy to let me rewrite the dialogue because he said, oh, please, if, 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 if you feel you can do that, please do, because you know, writing, for Pin, yeah. writing for Pinhead was the hardest thing we faced in this screenplay. Mm-hmm. I, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have a pass on it. I'm an actor, not a writer, but, uh, but I've got, you know, I've, I've got that language in, in my head from playing the character before, mm-hmm. and I did. But when I went to him and said, you know, I'm not happy with what I'm saying here, not the how I'm saying it, the what, he wouldn't let me change that at all. Um, so although he, he, he it, it always seems to me he, he wants to pull, pull you out of yourself. He wants you to reveal yourself yeah. to him. He's not necessarily interested in whether you've been a good person or a bad person. That I think, to some extent, is irrelevant. It's it, even in even in in the best of people, 
the very best of people. Mm -hmm. There are dark, dirty, cobwebbed corners that they probably don't look at or think about very much. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's the dark, dirty, dusty corners of Pope Francis's head that <laughs> Pinhead would be interested in, not the sweet, not the sweetness and light. You know, that's fine. We all know about that. Uh -huh. But but what's going on round the corner here in this in this cupboard that hasn't been opened for a very long time? Oh, he'd have a field day with uh, with you the know. Pope. He really was. <laughs> I'm 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 not going any further with that analogy <laughs> no, at of all. Um, um, but I think it's I, I always. I always had in in my head, uh, I think it's Paradise Lost, Milton's quote, and I'll, mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing or I'm relying on memory, so I'm probably yeah. getting it wrong. That <laughs> uh, the, the the mind is the mind is a place, and uh, uh, oh god, uh, the, the the mind is a place entire unto itself, something like that, uh, and can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Ah yes, um, and that chimed with the angel demon thing again. If you ask me, what's a demon? I don't know. I'm an atheist, so mm -hmm. I don't believe in demons in the strict sense that Pope Francis might believe in in demons, yeah, um, or that the, the Catholic Church in general might believe in them. And we were also very careful, I think, um, deliberately on Clive's part, that the hell. Hellraiser was never referred to in Christian terms. The devil was never referred to. Satan was never referred to. And in in Hellbound, when um, uh, Kirsty goes goes into hell, yeah. looking looking for her father, and she's confronted by Frank. He he basically says he uh, he's, uh, he is in his own hell, mm. just as you, just as you are in yours. So it was that that sense that hell is a personal construct and a personal place we did establish in hellbound this the the labyrinth as a specific place mm -hmm. but but where it exists we never found out so i you know there's, there's an, uh, in hellraiser 3 pinhead says my my god was diamond and black light wow we never explored that idea any further. My um, God is diamond and black light. I'm trying to work out now, what that would mean. Well, I think I think that's just a reference back to the in Hellbound. There's the when they when they first go into hell when yeah. uh, they that's Kirsty and Tiffany, mm -hmm. uh, Ashley Lawrence and Imogen Borman, um, and there's there's that wonderful glass shot of the labyrinth. Yeah. And then them walking through it, and there's a revolving uh, diamond shape in the in the, in the back, which is also the the diamond form that the lament configuration sometimes took, yes. and, it, and it's it's got black light pouring out of it. Uh, so I think that was I think that was just uh, I think that was Pete Atkins, who wrote the screenplay for Hellbound and Hell on Earth, referring back to that image. Um, in Hellbound. Hellbound, yeah, yeah, but exactly what that would mean to Pinhead, the notion that he had a god, That's um, interesting, uh, that he had a concept of having a god, and he would describe that god as being 
diamond and black light. I don't know. Wow. Um, you know. Um, I, I suspect. I suspect if we ask. If we asked Pete about it, he'd say, I don't know. I just wrote it. <laughs> it just sounds cool, yeah. Um, can I take you back to uh, the first film again? So you went to school yeah. with Clive Barker, um, is that right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yes. and obviously he had uh, you in mind when, when, when he was, was casting this. How far before you got cast did you know about hellraiser or, or hellbound heart How, did you keep a close eye on 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 clive's work before he decided to direct this well yes i mean i'd uh i i'd been i'd been very very close to clive's work for uh nearly 20 years by the time hellraiser wow. came along because yeah it was uh Quarry Bank High School in Liverpool, where I first properly met him in rehearsals for the school play. We <laughs> nice. were both in both in the cast. And that was where I where I first got to know him. Which play was it? And, um, and what did what did Clive play? <laughs> it, it was it was it was the Government Inspector by uh, by Goggle right. Nikolai Goggle. <laughs> I, uh, Clive was playing. I. Uh, was he playing the mayor? I, I, you know, I can't honestly remember. Okay. <laughs> um, I was there's there's two two guys in it called uh, Bob Chinsky and Dob Chinsky, <laughs> and I've I've never been this pushy in I don't think in my career as an actor since. Uh, my, my mate, my mate Jimmy Hughes, came came up to me and said, "I'm going to be in this cool play." And I thought, are you? Well, fuck this. If you're going to be in the school play, I'm going to be in the school play. <laughs> and uh, Bruce Bruce Prince, wonderful, wonderful guy, um, uh, was our form teacher, and he was also our English teacher, and he directed the school plays. Mm-hmm. So I marched, I marched up to uh, Bruce, and I said, um, hey, sir, Jimmy Hughes says he's going to be in the school play. And he said, um, yes, that's true, Bradley. Uh, why? And I said, well, I want to be in school play too. And he said, do you now? Well, come with me. Um, and uh, he, he, he took me off. Um, you wouldn't get away with this now. This was uh, probably about 1969, something like that. Uh-huh. He, took me in, he took me into the cloakrooms, just, <laughs> just me and him. Um, and he sat me down and, and put a copy of the play in, in my hand. And he said... Um, okay, you're reading this character, uh, and and that was my very first audition. And uh, he said, "Okay, uh, be in rehearsals tomorrow night after school." Nice. So I, um, and that's where it all started. And and that was it. And and that was where I met Clive. And we and then the following year, we we did a Whitehall farce. Okay, <laughs> as the school play, Dry Rot. <laughs> And Clive was also in this as an actor. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and then after after school and university, there was a there was a, a group then that kind of constellated around Clive. Mm-hmm. Partly other people who were in the school play um, uh, um, cast, uh, which included. Uh, Jude Kelly, who is now the director of the South Bank, or oh. I, um, 
I'm slightly out of touch with things in the cultural life of <laughs> of of of, uh, of England yes. these days, but I believe she still is. Okay. Um, uh, there's a guy called um, Dave Fischel who went on to uh, be the artistic director of the Liverpool Playhouse. He was also in the cast. Um, and uh, when we did when we did Dry Rot, uh, uh, the, um, Les Heseltine was. Uh, was was in the uh, was in the cast who became Les Dennis. Oh. Uh, um, so it was it was quite a high powered bunch. Yeah. And um, uh, Clive. So, so hang on. Clive was you and Clive Barker and Les Dennis. I'm just trying to picture that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Jude Kelly. That's amazing. Yes. yes. Um, um, so. And Clive was already at school. He was writing, directing, starring in, and uh, and hand drawing the posters for his own plays, wow. which had titles like Voodoo and Inferno. <laughs> and I went. I went to. I remember going to see one of these really before I knew him properly, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And he he would these hand drawn posters would go up around the school, and he'd, he'd put his own reviews uh, <laughs> underneath them. I remember, you know, with things like um, uh, "laugh." I thought I'd never dry my trousers. The <laughs> Daily Mail, uh, <laughs> um, and I, I I remember ballet dancing Nazis being part. I think this was voodoo. I think that's that's about as much as I can remember of that. <laughs> Sounds up my street. And I got in. I got involved in one of those uh, plays while we were still at school, which was a kind of improvised, extended Arthurian story called okay. uh, "The Holly and the Ivy," um, and I was completely out of my depth. Um, and and having the time of my life um and and i think it was a i i, I mean i i don't think clive was an easy pupil by any stretch okay. and i think i think it was the um the head teacher's way of recognizing that there was a talent here that he could he couldn't really mold and he couldn't box it and he couldn't do much with it other than give it its head. So Clive was given permission to basically take over the school hall for a, a whole week um, to put these these productions on. Wow. Um, uh, Mr. Mr. Pobjoy was the, the head teacher. Okay. Who, who a decade earlier, of course, had given John Lennon permission to form a skiffle band. Uh, in the in 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 at Quarry Bank, which of course was the quarry. Quarryman, yeah. Wow. Lennon named named it after the school, um, oh. and I think I think again that was Pop Joy recognizing that here here was a talent that was impossible to handle, and you know you couldn't you couldn't make sense of it in any conventional way. So give it its head, let it go. <laughs> um, so if Les Dennis was only ten years older, he could have been in the Beatles. It's a horrifying thought, but um, you, but you uh, so could I. Yes, yes. that's true. That would have been good. It would, uh, yeah, John, John Clive, Doug, and Les. It doesn't, 
I don't know. I'm not sure it's quite working. <laughs> um, and then, so what, what happens? Um, so, so Clive was obviously writing these uh, stories, these short stories, and well, yeah. I mean, we're, we'll we'll jump a long way into the future. I mean, we we so we we started doing experimental theatre in Liverpool. Yes, we used to we used to get permission to to perform at the Everyman Theatre when it was dark. Yep. during the summer so they they'd give us free reign of the theater um uh and and by bits and pieces um we moved down to london i mentioned pete atkins he was also mm-hmm. part of this process now he was part of the the scouse mafia um <laughs> and uh uh the dog company was formed in the late 1970s uh and that ran until about 1982 uh, almost exclusively new plays by Clive, uh-huh. uh, which are all published now and have been performed independently, I think. Uh, titles like The History of the Devil, which I played the devil. Um, and uh, um, Oliver Parker, Ollie, Ollie Parker, who was also in Hellraiser and Hellbound, Mm-hmm. As, as the mattress delivery guy and right. then was in Nightbreed um, playing Pelican. Oh, right. He was, yes. also, he was also a member of, of uh, the dog company. Oh, and nice. Ollie is now a film director in his own right. In fact, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I believe he's, he just has a new film out, okay. um, which has been recommended to me but i haven't caught up with it yet okay uh swimming swimming with men i think it's called about um an all all male uh synchronized swimming team oh awesome i'll put it in the show notes so so. people can check it out yeah but he's he also he's also he he directed me in an ideal husband with uh uh rupert everett um and uh he, he did a movie of uh othello okay with lawrence fishburne and Kenneth Branagh, nice. so, uh, uh, and um, uh, a picture of Dorian Gray with oh. Colin Firth. Oh right, okay. So, um, and, and the Saint Trinian's movies, oh, <laughs> uh, brilliant remakes as well with Rupert Everett. So, <laughs> so, uh, and he goes all the way back to the Dog Company in, in the late 1970s through the early 1980s. Uh-huh. Dog Company disbands around 1982, and around that time, Clive was starting to give me plastic he carried everything in plastic shopping bags all always uh, plastic shopping bags with uh handwritten manuscripts of stories in and and i remember him saying to me um have a have a look at these tell me what you think i'm i'm trying to write some short horror stories to see if i can make a bit of money nice. those those stories were stories that eventually appeared in the books of blood mm-hmm. so the making a bit of money thing kind of worked for him yes um, <laughs> and uh at some point in there uh, that would have included the hellbound heart but um it, 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 exactly where that appears in the timeline i honestly cannot remember now mm-hmm. i know that in late 1985 um I had a conversation with him and he said, oh, by the way, I'm trying to put together a low-budget independent British horror film and I think there's a part in there for you. Um, and uh, I said, oh, uh, 
okay, cool. And, uh, you know, then promptly forgot about it. And, uh, <laughs> a year, a year later, we were at, we were in Cricklewood production village mm-hmm. making it. That's why I, I have a little, uh, uh, story about Cricklewoods, um, and the Hellraiser house. Um, last year, um, I was, I had it in my mind, right. I want to go visit the Hellraiser, the house from Hellraiser. Um, not really knowing where it was. Um, but obviously I watched that documentary that came out about Hellraiser not t- too long ago. And, um, I was like, okay, it's in Cricklewood somewhere. So, uh, Do- Dollis Hill, I Dollis think. Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Just up the yes, road from Cricklewood. Yeah. And right. so what I did, I, I Googled where it was and then I noticed right. it was for sale. So oh, right. I called so up the estate. bought it. Well, <laughs> I called up, <laughs> not quite, but almost. I called up the estate agents and said, oh, is that house on Dollis Hill, Dollis Hill still available? And they were like, <laughs> and they said, um, yes, um, do you want to view it? And I said, yep, okay. So the next day I went down and there was this real ro- rookie um, person, really new to the job, obviously didn't know it was a Hellraiser house because I was dropping right. hints. I was like, um, how, how are the floorboards? Are, are uh, are the floorboards damaged? <laughs> and, and, is, the, is there an attic? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and but thing is, like the Hellraiser house, it looks exactly the same from the outside, exactly the same, and it's just yes. beautiful to to look at. But inside, no, I, they've changed think, it all. They've they've, well, they've cut up, they've cut out the, the staircase has gone. They have split it into three sets of apartments. Um, so um so I went inside and I was like oh my god I am in the Hellraiser house uh, I was and the guy didn't know why I was so giddy um <laughs> but uh, I mean I didn't right. make an offer but it was very cool. good to be there <laughs> and visit I th- I think in fact cuz somebody sent it sent it to me mm-hmm. I I think it actually got a mention in time out oh. when it went on the market Someone, Did it, someone right. had spotted that, and I think again very recently, Time Out would they were doing a series of cinematic landmarks in London. Ah, okay. And they and they featured the Hellraiser house as as part of the the series, but <laughs> but from the outside, it still looks. It still looks it exactly still looks the same. The same. Um, cool. I wanted to. Ah. Well, I had two reasons to visit. One just because I was curious and I'm a mega fan, and also the other reason was um, I was uh, shooting a film myself, and we wanted to. We needed the house similar to the Hellraiser house, so I was like, "Why don't we just use the Hellraiser house because it's right there?" Um, uh-huh. So it wasn't suitable. The inside wasn't suitable because we needed the big. Yeah. We needed that staircase like in the film, so we used somewhere else um, down the road. But. Um, yeah, it's it's. Do you, yes. have, do you have, have you ever visited it? When's the last time you uh no, you checked God, it out? No, no. no. Well, the, the the last time I saw it would have been the last time I filmed. And actually, um, I didn't do very much filming in the house at all because oh, course, the yeah. um, the 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 attic, and particularly as transformed yes. into into the torture room, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that was done on the soundstage. Yeah. So um, I I. I had very little filming inside the house, I think. Uh-huh. Wow. I've also got something else to ask you. So um, a friend of mine, Rob Savage, who's a, is a director, He has he's currently working on a, a, a show for Sky um, called Britannia. And uh, one of his, I think this is his first AD or second AD, worked on Hellraiser. And his name mm-hmm. is, uh, I've got it right here. I think it's Rufus. He, uh, yeah, no, Rupert. So Rupert, apparently he was third AD or second AD on Hellraiser. 
And he said to ask you this particular question about making Hellraiser. And I've no idea what it means, but maybe you do. He said to ask Doug about the ducks. Apparently there was... Oh, <laughs> yes. <there> was... <laughs> and I, what does that mean? <laughs> um, Nick, Nick Roig's son was third AD on Hellraiser, okay. by the way. Maybe he um, was second. Uh, um, but he wasn't a duck. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, Cricklewood was a curious kind of place. I don't think it had seen a movie for a while. I mean, it was very quaint and very old-fashioned. Um, and there was a, there was, there was like a little square, it was like a little village square with a weeping willow and a duck pond (laughs) with ducks on it, you know, which is all very quaint, but it's not, it's not great when you're in the middle of trying to film a very quiet scene and suddenly you hear, um, (laughs) going on. Uh, I, I I seem to remember we had to stop when planes were going overhead too, and I know there was there was one night I remember Clive. I, oh well, I think we must have been filming on November the fifth, uh, <laughs> and apparently the 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 sound guy had picked up fireworks in the in the in the uh, in in the background while he was recording some of the sound. Whether whether you hear. Any of the ducks or the fireworks <laughs> in the movie, I've no idea. Um, okay, but yes, so nothing too yeah, sinister. It was, it was a it, well. I don't know whether I'm supposed to be remembering something oh, specifically. Sin- as far as I'm aware, I never, I never caught one and cooked it for lunch. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, his name's uh, Rupert Royal Hodges. Rupert Royal Hodges, and he was third AD. Wow. So he was he third, was third AD, AD on Hellraiser. Well, there were two third. Maybe. Or maybe they changed Waldo Roeg certainly I remember yeah um, oh god I mean Christ it's a long time oh, ago oh yeah you don't uh, have to remember a specific um, anecdote about Duck don't worry <laughs> I'm no. sure I'm sure it was, it was nothing really um, but yeah so so you were obviously given the job of Pinhead but it was, he wasn't obviously called Pinhead in the first one he didn't have a name he was just lead he didn't Cenobite. have a name yeah yeah he didn't he didn't have a name in the in the Hellbound Heart, none of the Cenobites no, had didn't. names in the Hellbound Heart or in uh, in Hellraiser. There was just the engineer, wasn't there, in the um, in the book? Yes, yes. Uh, um, and the names were given to us by um, Bob Keane's special effects makeup crew. Oh, okay. Because um, when they when they were prepping the film and preparing the makeups, they they had to call us something. They couldn't keep referring to us as you know. Yeah. I'm working on how is the lead Cenobite coming on? Are you working on Cenobite number two today? So they gave us the names. Awesome. I mean, it makes it, sense. So, they obviously just so, looked at you and just. Well, they didn't spend too long. In his yeah. head. What shall we call him? Um, uh, uh, so there must be one member of Bob's crew who can. I've never heard anybody claim it, but there must be one member of his crew then working on the film who could say. I christened Pinhead. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's one of the ducks. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> so they 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 gave us the names of uh, Pinhead, Chatterer, Butterball, and um, and Deep Throat, <laughs> which I think which I think is why the female Cenobite continued to be credited as the female Cenobite. Um, <laughs> yes. Barbie Wilde, of but, course. Yeah. But so on be, because uh, back backstage, so to speak. Um, they were all calling us Pinhead and Butterball. Mm-hmm. Um, 
th those names traveled onto set. Yep. Every, everybody started referring to us by those names to, to, to the extent that by the time we, we came to do Hellbound, those were our names and yep. they, they just kind of fell into place. But in, in, in my mind, playing the character always, he had no name. And if you'd ever called him Pinhead, he wouldn't have responded. He wouldn't have known what you meant. Oh. Uh, 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 he is nameless as far as I'm concerned. That's really interesting. Um, uh, you also got but, the opportunity to play uh, a human character on, on Hellbound, though. You were Captain yes. Elliot Spencer, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. That must have been fun, ha being able yes. to actually see your face on camera. Yeah, it was unexpected too. I, it was never it was never discussed while we were doing Hellraiser. I mean, I I talked obviously I talked a lot to Clive, trying to get as much as I could about the character. Yeah, from him because he literally dreamt him up and created created him, and I, you know there was nowhere else I could go other than to Clive mm -hmm. to find out about you know or uh, take us back to the beginning of this interview. It was he was the only person i knew who could tell me you know what a cenobite was and 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 what pinhead was yeah um uh and in in those discussions it was clear that he had once been a human being yes so i knew that much mm -hmm. i didn't know who and i didn't know when and it was never discussed so for all i knew it that might have been last week or it might have been 10,000 years ago mm -hmm. I uh, I had no idea I just I I held that um that idea that he had once been human um and I I used it as both both to give me as an actor a reason why he is so endlessly fascinated by human beings mm -hmm. um and also because uh, among a lot of the sense impressions that I got about the character first time I had the makeup on, I had a sense of melancholy about him, sense of loss, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I used I used to make sense of that. For me, that was um, being him being in mourning for a humanity that he couldn't remember. Ah. So when we when we came to Hellbound, I mean that was great because everything fell into place for me. That you know here here was this character, and we were now establishing him in a very specific time and place in India in the British Army, mm -hmm. helping to put down the Indian mutinies in the early nineteen twenties, and with a name and so forth. So you think he can't remember his his old life, um, and he's well well. He did when Kirsty showed him the photograph. Yeah. Then he's he yeah he's he says I I remember and he reverts or almost reverts back to his human form. Don't ask me why. It yeah. said so in the script. Um, mm, uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, but 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 certainly certainly up to that point for me, yes, he would he would have known he would have had a sense of his humanity, but would not be able to be specific about the memory. Amazing. And um, obviously the success of 
hell of the first hellraiser meant you got to to make more how surprising to you was the fact the first one was was it was a was a hit and people put it up there as as one of the best british horrors ever essentially first first go out of the uh, on 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 clive's first go as as a director um and I, I never saw it coming never saw yeah? it coming um <clears throat> i think well i think for a number of reasons one was uh, i mean i said we'd we'd worked in the theater for a long time mm-hmm. and um we were largely ignored we we were we weren't entirely unsuccessful by any means we went to the edinburgh festival a couple of times and we were very successful there mm-hmm. and we were starting to raise the profile of the company but i but you know, we were we were arrogant enough at the get-go back in the late seventies, particularly when we left Liverpool and came down to London, to believe that all we had to do was was you know parade our work before the the public, and we would all be hailed as geniuses, and um, uh, the the public you know largely um, coughed and and passed by on the other side of the road. So I'd kind of got used to. And I can remember Clive sending out manuscripts for a, uh, a children's series of children's stories that he'd written uh, or, or, and was rejected by everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd, kind of, uh, I'd kind of got used to the idea that no matter how good I thought work we were doing was, um, the rest of the world would not agree. And I, I, knew, with, I knew with Hellraiser we were doing something good. I we were doing something interesting i knew we were kind of going against the grain of of uh of of horror films in uh, at that time which was dominated by slasher movies mm-hmm. and e- even when when the movie came out and pinhead was full face on the front cover of time out on the week of its release wow. and it it got some very nice reviews and it seemed to be being successful and there was already talk of a sequel before we'd finished filming at Cricklewood. Really? Okay. Uh, um, b- because New World was liking what it was seeing, and they, right. they, they raised the budget a bit mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and gave Clive a bit more time to finish it. Um, but I, I think I thought then, you know, well, maybe we'll, you know, we'll make a bit of a splash in our own small way for, uh, for a little while. Um, and then we'll be forgotten, and the world will move on to the next new thing. If you if you had ever suggested to me that, uh, where are we now? God help us! Th- Thirty-two years later, pretty much. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I would be sitting here having this conversation with you. I would have been. I I would not have been able to make any sense of this. I mean, of course we're. It's you know it's 1986. I, mean, mm. I didn't know about I didn't know about the horror fan base. Yes, <laughs> uh, I d- I didn't know about conventions. Yeah. I do now. Yes, um, I was going to ask you about them. Uh, we'll the come onto the convention later. Podcasts didn't exist. Yes. You know, we were we were barely in the in the age of, of of videos. You know, I mean, I I came from a tradition where. The the your the movies you wanted to see were in the cinema for a week and then they were they were gone. Yeah, and if you didn't get to see them then, 
you had to wait until they came round on te- on television, <laughs> and you had to sit down in, in front of the television when the film began and stay there until the film finished. You couldn't <laughs> record it, or you know, um, or watch it on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as per the the title of, of your podcast yeah, so it's um, true um but have you found the fact that it is so freely available now on streaming platforms across the world that you're, you're seeing a new fan base emerge where where people of a certain age absolutely. can say to their kids hey when absolutely. i was your age i was watching this film and it's easily available right now we can watch it right now we don't have to go yes. to the video store here it is yes uh, um uh, th- there is there is a, there is a new audience finding this film all the time, and it's, that's it's the great joy of 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 where we are now with technologies mm-hmm. that the movies don't go away; they their shelf life is is forever, yes. theoretically, um, uh, until we all disappear. Um, uh, um, and there is there's. People come to talk to me at conventions who weren't born when the film was released, yeah. um, and and again, it's 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 always been one of my arguments against any need to remake this movie. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. If I had if I had any sense that people were coming to me and saying, you know, um, some you know callow 17 year old or whatever saying um uh i yeah i just saw hellraiser yeah for a for a movie made in the 1980s uh, yeah I, I guess i guess it's not bad yeah <laughs> yeah whatever then maybe i'd think um well there's maybe there is an argument for for remaking uh-huh. this and moving it bringing it forward because you know after all the the length of time that's elapsed now from where we are to when Hellraiser was released mm-hmm. is longer than the period of time that elapsed from uh, Universal's Dracula and Frankenstein mm-hmm. to Hammer's, Hammer's remakes in the late 1950s. Yeah. That's, yeah. On, that's only, what, it's less than 30 years, yes. 20, 30, yeah, less than 30 years. Mm-hmm. When I realised that was horrifying to me, because in the, you know, the the idea of Universal's movies in the 1930s, I know there's a there's Second World War in the in the midst of that, which is like a huge divide, but mm-hmm. it it seemed like such a long time ago. Yes, and hey, here we are. But yeah. these people these people come to me, and they're they are as enthusiastic about the film. Yeah, they. They tell me that I gave them nightmares, that I scared the shit out of them. <laughs> a pop, a popular theme seems to be being being forced to watch Hellraiser by your older brother. <laughs> that's that's a, a popular theme that is now in now beginning to emerge. I think that's the job of an older brother, though, to to force your siblings to to watch something that they know is going to mess you up. Um, Seems a bit the, the weaponization of horror films. Right? <laughs> but cool. you, you yeah. touched on an interesting point. So regarding uh, remakes, obviously we've seen remakes of like the Charles Charles Play movie. There's going to be a re- big budget remake of that. There's obviously been a big budget remake of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, and the Halloween ones coming in, in a, like a couple of months. 
someone at some point which is the, which is the second remake right of course yeah because rob zombie actually i don't mind rob zombies um remakes but obviously you didn't need to remake halloween because it was brilliant and perfect to start with what- I, I agree I, I think the original halloween is is a is a, is a colossally brilliant yeah. piece of filmmaking it's perfect uh, and 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 not just in in the horror genre yeah mm-hmm. and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was horrible. It was, yeah. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> the remake of The Omen was I can't even awful. remember the remake. Yeah, that's how bad Terrible. it was. Terrible. It was like it was like watching The Omen in a fog. It was like it was almost the almost going to be it was like watching I don't know, like if you were watching one of your favorite films and The Omen is one of my favorite films. Uh-huh. Um if you were watching it in in a dream so you were sitting down to watch the omen but it wasn't the omen it was kind of the omen but it was (laughs) never really the omen it was awful terrible and with one or two honorable exceptions um i don't think any of the remakes have have served any purpose yeah and and this brings other than make millions of dollars in the opening weekend which is that's the reason why they why they get made so i'm like Obviously, there's been multiple, multiple uh, Hellraiser movies after you you gave up the mantle, um, and then well, the- I never did. I never did give up the mantle. Let's um, let's clarify that. I mean, you know, um, someone else played uh, yes. Pinhead yes. Um, yes. to varying degrees of success, um, mm-hmm. but I am sure that you've been in plenty of conversations with filmmakers where someone said to you, right we've got this idea for a remake or a reboot and obviously you have to be in it. When's the last time that happened and what's the story that they've given you um, to as a fresh idea of how to reboot it or, or remake specifically, it? Specifically as a remake? Either or. I'm just interested in what people have approached you with because I, I mean, every Hellraiser uh, fan uh, has their own ideas. but Yes. Approached me with? Yeah. V- very little. Okay. Uh, uh uh, a few times fans have given me scripts mm-hmm. their own scripts yes i'll say no more because they're <laughs> fans you yes. don't want to upset them of course yeah uh, um but in terms of in terms of uh serious talk about remaking the film mm-hmm. um they don't come to me you know okay. i mean i uh it's um it's got to be 15 years at least Mm-hmm. since i remember the remake first being talked about yeah um uh what i've always said in in regard to that is was while i i am opposed to the whole remake culture and i am i i uh and it, it's also for me it's um it, it, it's like um you know it's like uh in in new music we trust right yeah um well, I kind of feel the same way about about uh, um, horror films. I I, I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think we should be spending money on remaking work that already worked. Yeah, you know, we don't want to reboot the Beatles. We don't want to reboot Led Zeppelin. We well, other than with the original members, but you know what yeah. I mean. We don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we we don't want to remake the Beatles. You can't. The Beatles were uniquely what they were yeah. in the moment that they were, and you can never reproduce that. And Nightmare on Elm Street is a perfect example of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the original Nightmare on Elm Street, like Hellraiser, handmade special effects, mm-hmm. which is a which is a whole other discussion. But it's the 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 key to Nightmare on Elm Street for me is it's a it's a weird film. <laughs> it really it's is. Not, it's not the just a, yeah, it's not just a scary film. Yeah. It's odd. Mm-hmm. So much about it is kind of off kilter. The the palette is weird. The Dream colors, like, are, yeah, are, yeah. And then the the remake it is shot in this in this horrible muddy brown palette that it seems every horror movie has to be filmed in yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, and the, the 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 two are just so far apart. And so don't do that i know don't try and recreate what wes craven uniquely made in that moment with robert england with johnny depp Mm -hmm. etc and with those special effects that were made on that day and if you if you'd shot them again a week later would have looked slightly different yeah because you'll never recreate them the same way twice unlike with cgi and i always go to johnny depp's death yeah Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm, in the prison with with that with the where, where, um, uh, it's with the blanket then, wrapped around uh, like a rope. Yeah, w- yeah. W- uh, um, in when he's in, uh, maybe I don't mean his death. Uh, when he's in bed trying to keep himself awake. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, with with the record player. Oh and, sorry, and, yeah, and, with, the, with the TV and, on his on sitting on his lap. Yes, yeah, and and as he starts to nod off and everything sinks, uh, and then you get the upside down shot with that. That fountain of blood, absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, uh, um, but be, but because it's upside down, it, again, it it's there's something surreal. There's something it? weird and poetic <laughs> yes. about it, and um, you recreate that in CGI, and it's just oh yeah, it's that. It's a CGI effect, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, but it seems to me that 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 the job of the executives is to find the new Wes Cravens, the new Clive Barkers, new mm-hmm. Sam Raimi's and Toby Hooper's yep. and, and give them their head. And don't tell me they're not out there because I know they are. Um, let, let them be given a chance. You know, I mean, Clive had never directed a film, not a proper film. He directed, he directed, uh, what, half a film on, um, on Super 8 uh, and an animated an animated film on Super 8 and um, The Forbidden on 16 mil and that was it. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a good Clive and, Barker quote about about he said that he w- wouldn't know a camera, he would mistake a, a plate of spaghetti for a camera lens, that's how much he knew about filmmaking when he went into Hellraiser. He knew a lot about filmmaking but he, but he, he didn't know the practicalities the great story is that he apparently went on to to set on Hellraiser on day one, uh-huh. and he said, uh, "Okay, um, so who's in charge here?" <laughs> and there was a pause, and they all said, uh, "You are." <laughs> um, uh, but but I, that would not happen now. I don't think that he and Chris Fig, his producer, take themselves off to Los Angeles. They, I. Th- think new world was their first pitch meeting uh-huh. pitch the movie um new world say uh yeah okay yeah we like it um here's a check <laughs> go and make the film 
I mean, they wouldn't have said, here's a check there and then, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll we'll do it. We'll give you this much budget, and, and, and away you go and do it. I think they were a bit uneasy when they saw the first rushes, I think is the story, and they, really? okay. they sent a representative from New World to London to, to be on set, someone just to keep an eye on what was going on. That someone was Tony Randall. Right. Who direct who directed Hellbound. Yes. Wow. Um but they gave Clive his head, you know, and and Clive seriously didn't and he know what was what with and he was very very fortunate to have a DP like Robin Vigeon working with him. Mm-hmm. Because it would have been very easy for Robin to, you know, to say, "Oh, I I what about what I what have I been landed with here? He doesn't know his, his ass from his elbow, you know? Um, uh, so I, I can just ignore him and do what I want to do. But Clive, Clive in his own inimicable way, you know, he would, he would instance um, a Renaissance painting or something like that, you know? And he would say, I want it to look like this. And Robin would say, uh, and I can remember these conversations taking place. Robin would say, well, okay, well, if you wanted to look like that, we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do this. Uh, and uh, we can do it, but we, you're looking at an hour and a half's lighting time. And, you know, I, what I might suggest is you think about doing this or that or, you know. It's a good deep end. Um, yeah. and, and at some point... I know that Robin took Clive on one side and taught him lenses, <laughs> taught him how to do it. Because then I remember uh, a day, you, you know, uh, Clive saying, um, can we switch this to a 30 mil, Robin? And, you know, Robin saying, yeah, we uh, we can. Uh, oh, I see what you, what you want. Okay. Oh, God, why did I ever teach him this now? <laughs> Now he not only knows what he wants, he knows how to get what he wants. <laughs> I can't lie to him anymore. <laughs> oh. And um, so obviously he works uh, uh, on another uh, Clive Barker film, Nightbreed. Uh, straight, yes. That was off straight after um, Hellraiser 2. Um, what, were, what were the experiences with Nightbreed? Because obviously Clive had started a fr- essentially a franchise in, in Hellraiser. Did you think or did he think this would kickstart another horror franchise my belief i don't want i i I don't want to be authoritative with this this would be a question for clive really but my understanding was that he had written cabal yes um which was then adapted as nightbreed and and the the script for nightbreed was an almost literal page for page translation because clive did the screenplay as well to the screen yes uh, my my memory of this is that his plan was to then write Cabal two, oh. make Nightbreed two, write Cabal three, and make Nightbreed three. Now, wow, th- okay. this this is not untypical of Clive, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whose whose plans would often you know outstrip reality <laughs> yeah. at a at a fairly furious rate. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but I, m- m- my understanding is yes. And now, w- whether he was considering that 
specifically as starting a franchise, I don't know because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that he would have had in his head the idea that Hellraiser was going to be a franchise. All he knew was that you know that being a film and that being a sequel. Yeah, um, I don't. Uh, no, I do know that they. I do know that there was t- that, that they there was they were talking. Um, Hellraiser three about, by then about Hellraiser three while yeah. we were filming Hellbound because Pinhead wasn't going to be in it. Yeah, well, Pinhead wasn't going to be in Hellraiser three originally. Wow, yes. that would have been awful. <laughs> I re- I remember. Uh, I was in my dressing room at, at Pinewood, but, you know, boy, had we gone up in the world from Crickle, Cricklewood to Pinewood. I had That's my cool. own dressing room. Um, uh, and um, he he came in, he said, uh, we've got a bit of a, a lighting change. Um, uh, so we just came up to see how you're doing, and we, we chatted, and the conversation moved to Hellraiser 3, which was going to be set in ancient Egypt, um, wow. And the idea w- was that the Great Pyramid um, was the, the was the um, lament the origin the original lament configuration. Oh my God! That's built, amazing. Built to raise the Great Pharaoh. Okay. Um, uh, and as is inevitably the case when Clive involves you in these conversations, and I've been, you know, I had been having these conversations <laughs> with him. For, for you know a, a decade and a half by that time mm-hmm. uh, you get you get swept up in the excitement of the moment and it's great and then um and he said uh he said okay well i i um i should probably get back on set they'll be wondering where i am i'll see you a bit later i said sure <laughs> okay off he went i i'm in full makeup and costume by the way during yeah. this, this conversation and he left and um a couple of minutes after he went, I, I, I suddenly the the penny dropped, and I thought, "Oh, you bastard! You just you just came here to tell me I'm not going to be in Hellraiser three because what I hadn't thought when we were having the conversation was, well, we're we're establishing that Pinhead was created in the 1920s, and you're telling me Hellraiser three is taking place in ancient Egypt." <laughs> Ah, right. Okay. okay. Oh, which doesn't mean I couldn't be in the film. Well, yeah. I, 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 but I mean, but not as not as Pinhead, I assume. Well, I mean, um, so you'll see. Anyway, that that, yeah. that movie never got made. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting. That's a, that's an interesting thing that someone could maybe do in a an interesting new way to do a, a retelling of Hellraiser if you start it in ancient Egypt, because that, that's a great concept. The, the, the Great Pyramids being the lemon configuration, where, where that's come from. That's really interesting. Um, so, so obviously um, they did put you in Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Um, and I've got a real... So- I know a lot of people don't like this as much as the first two, but I've got a real soft spot for Hellraiser 3. Um, Me too. Uh, yeah, I enjoy it, and it's the one that I I watch when I want a fun when I want to watch something that's fun, and I I think there's a lot of fun elements to this compared to um, maybe the second one. I would say I I agree, and and serious too. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a very concise story. Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, my 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 main. In criticism always of Hellbound 
is that there are so many storylines <laughs> going yeah. on. Um, you, you know, you start to count them up. You've you've got you've got Channard's story, yeah. Um, Channard and Julia's story, uh, Kirsty's story, which gets lost. I mean, the whole yeah. the whole the whole reason for Hellbound at the beginning of the film is Kirsty going into hell mm -hmm. to find her father. Yeah, and that that kind of gets lost somewhere. Um, and then there's there's Kirsty and Tiffany's story. There's Kirsty and Kirsty and Julia's story ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then there's uh, Channard wants to be a Cenobite story. And yep. then there's um, uh, uh, Channard as Cenobite wants to uh, wants to confront and overthrow Pinhead story. And it feels like all these storylines are at, in in the last. 15 minutes of the film are all career and pinhead and Kirsty's ongoing story mm -hmm. uh, moving forward as as well and and all these storylines are racing for the door marked exit you know and <laughs> yeah. um uh and, and and so for me the end of the film is unsatisfactory because there's no real climax that all you're jumping from storyline to storyline to storyline. Yeah. And some of them get lost and some of them, um, you know, don't get the focus on them. Do you think that's the, to do with... maybe should have. Do you think that's to do with um, Anthony Hickox stepping in as director for this one? Because um, I'm a fan of his some of his work um i really like um uh, lost lost in time um that film but him coming onto this in uh, in place of 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 clive do you feel that this is is ch kind of changed something changed about it oh inevitably a lot of things changed a lot of things changed uh well now um uh hellraiser 3 is tony randall's film mm-hmm Tony and Pete uh, um, put put the story and the screenplay together. Yeah. Uh, Tony then had a falling out with the producers, right. and he was replaced with with uh, with uh, Hickox. Oh, quite okay. quite late on, I think. I don't think I was aware of any of this. But then right. it's it's the first it's the first movie that Clive is not involved in. He's just done as exact um, producer or something. But. Well, but uh, not until right at the end of the film. Right, right. Okay. When, when, which was when, uh, actually, when we completed the film. <laughs> right. Okay. That was that was when Dimension Films um, uh, bought into the franchise, and they wanted to to uh, sell the film with uh, as Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Makes sense, right? Um, uh, or. Hellraiser 3 and mm -hmm. so they went to Clive and said we want to put your name on the masthead and Clive said okay <laughs> but I want to see what I'm putting my name to yeah so we did some reshoots which were suggested by Clive uh but at the beginning of the film he uh, and he had absolute and during principal photography no involvement whatsoever okay um because uh after Hellbound New World went went belly up oh. so this is part of the reason why there's a why there's a gap from uh, hellbound to, to bloodline. 
to to hell on earth. Oh, right. Otherwise, otherwise, I think Hellraiser three would have gone straight away, and right. might well have been that that ancient Egyptian Hellraiser <laughs> without Pinhead. So I I I have I have, uh, I have uh, New World's demise possibly to be <laughs> to be grateful to in, in in this regard. So you're now in a in um in in a legal conundrum because obviously Clive, like all first time filmmakers gave everything to New World in return for getting his movie made. Mm-hmm. So uh, New World own the rights to Hellraiser and New World don't exist. Oh. So where are the rights? Clive, Clive's feeling, and on the face of it, you would think it, it would be... Default back ob- to Clive. Ob- yeah. Would default back to Clive as the primary creator, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a guy called Larry Cuppin emerged from the wreckage waving a piece of paper and said, no, 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 not at all. I've got the rights. Why would he have the rights? I don't ask me. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, I think Clive looked at the situation and I think he thought this guy can, um, can marshal high-powered entertainment lawyers right. in, in L.A., uh, and I can't, or if he, I, I might be able to, but I can't afford to pay them. Yeah, so, what complete um, bastard! So this is not a fight I'm going to pick because I, I remember him calling me and saying, uh, "Look, you need to know that Hellraiser three is going to go ahead, um, uh, and uh, it's going to go ahead, and I'm not going to be involved in it at all." Right. But but I, you know I want you to 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 go forward um, with my blessing and do the film and, you know. Okay. Uh, so, n- uh, no Clive. So there was still st- still Pete and still Bob Keane's special effects makeup crew and some of, the, some of the people who had worked on Nightbreed and on uh, um, uh, the Hellraiser movies, but not okay. Jeff Portas now doing, doing my makeup. Um, and Steve Hardy, production designer, was still mm-hmm. around. Yeah. And so- Steve Jones, who was the unit publicist, was still there. Right, okay. But otherwise, this was an American crew. It was fully Americanized now. Um, so everything was, was very different. Plus, we had this twist in the story now that from where we were at the end of Hellbound, mm-hmm. we now had this idea that... that that Pinhead is out of the box, so to speak. Yeah. So he's not he's not bound by the rules. He's operating <laughs> as a as a free agent to uh, to act as he pleases and and uh, and do as he pleases. So that changes everything as well. Yeah. And uh, I was told a story that um, uh, that Pete's. Pete's screenplay is a very intelligent response to what, what I was told is a very, very dumb instruction from an executive, which was, we need to make Pinhead more like Freddy. I think what they were, what they were saying was, you know, we have a bit of a problem with Pinhead because he's, you know, he's, he plays by the rules and he's in his box and you have to open the box and blah, blah, blah. And it's, we need to, we need to get him out there. We need to make him, you know, energize him like a Freddy or a whatever. 
get him on the street slicing and dicing Flash in New York. But Freddie plays by the rules as well. Um, well, he does, yes. But, um, but you know, my, my response to that would be, you know, why do this? Yeah. Why, you know, Freddie does what Freddie does, and I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and Pinhead does what Pinhead does, and mm-hmm. never the twain shall meet. Yeah. And don't, why do that? Let Freddie be what Freddie is. Let Pinhead be what Pinhead is. But mm-hmm. Pete took a, took a hold of this, and you can you can see that that idea in hellraiser 3 but pete takes it and uh makes a a very intelligent response to it yeah and he's actually if i remember correctly he's in it isn't he pete he plays uh one of the celebrities well he play he plays the barman yes in uh in in the the boiler room the nightclub Mm -hmm. uh who then gets turned into the um, ironically, the Barbie Cenobite <laughs> yes. with the with the barbed wire, and and Pete played um, uh, is happy happy as a pig in shit. He was <laughs> um, got, got to got to play the uh, the 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 Barbie Cenobite. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he's Rick the Barman. That's where he was. Yeah, Rick the. There bar. you go. Right. Okay. Uh, yes. And there was a bit of a gap between this one and um, Bloodline. Um, now I know well, Bloodline isn't the, the the most fondly remembered Hellraiser, but it has it has its has its moments. I feel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it followed it followed quite quickly actually because we we shot we sh- principal photography for Hellraiser three was yeah. fall of ninety one in North Carolina. Yeah. Then we did reshoots in LA in ninety two, and it was released in ninety three, oh. and then we shot Bloodline in ninety four. Oh, okay. So, uh, right. it, it actually came along pretty quickly, and of course now Clive is back on board. Yeah. Um, to the extent that it's his storyline, and mm-hmm. he's executive producer again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got obviously the the storyline is a little bit. I mean, it's almost the opposite of the Egyptian storyline. This is set in the far flung future. When, when you first got the the script for this, what did you think? Did you think this has gone too far now? this isn't what Pinhead's meant to kind of be doing? Or did you think this is a brilliant new way to show this story? What was your, your idea? All of the, all of the above. Okay. Um, uh, if, if you'd, if you'd, um, if you'd said to me, well, oh God, uh, I can't remember his second name. Um, Ken, who, who was he, he an actor? He, yeah, we pl- he played the cameraman who became the camera head Cenobite in in, three. in Hellraiser three. Oh, yes. um, 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 Ken Carpenter. Uh, Ken Carpenter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I remember sitting in 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 the bar in the Howard Johnsons in, in North Carolina, where we were all billeted while we were making the film. Yeah. And he said, "I've got a great idea for Hellraiser four. And uh, my eyes may have glazed slightly, but uh, I said, oh, oh, really? Uh, and he said, yeah, they they realize that Pinhead's power is so awesome, they can't contain it. So they put him and the box in a capsule and they fire him into outer space. <laughs> and the next film is is set on a space station. And I 
kind of, you know, I probably <laughs> said, you know, are you sure have you taken your meds this morning, Ken? I, I'm <laughs> sure you're okay. Uh, uh, and I, I would have, I mean, if you, if, if, if you'd suggested pinhead in space, I'd laughed at you. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be absolutely honest here and say that, you know, that there's a degree of, um, uh, Clive says pinheads going into space. Well, wow, what a great idea. <laughs> um, uh, um, I, so we're in, we're in the eight, we're in 18th century France. Yes. We're in present day Los Angeles and we're at some point. 21, uh, 27. Oh yeah. Well, that's uh, what it is. Yeah. You remember more than I do. Yes. 21, 27. Yeah. The white 21, 27. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Pete, Pete would know that because um, uh, he he again wrote the screenplay. Yes, so he did. He's, yeah. he's now written uh, three screenplays. Um, he would have had his reasons. He has reasons I'm for sure, everything. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, uh, I've forgotten what your question was. Oh, just well, well, actually, when I thought about it, I mean, there's a kind of there's a kind of sense, or it seemed to me, I don't know whether I was just making ex. But there was a sense that Pinhead sort of Pinhead and Space belong to each other. Mm-hmm. That that cold, dark, unemotional place that it seems to me Pinhead exists in. Yeah, you know, is what space is. And do you, when people say to you. Um, the point where a, a franchise goes to space, that's when it's sold out or jump the shark. Because it, t- it took Jason 10 movies to get to space. Yeah, Pinhead exactly. 4. Yeah, <laughs> I think Critters, exactly. Critters 4 a, was in space what as well. A, what a, what a lame-o Jason is. <laughs> yeah. 10 movies to get there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I said that Hellraiser 3 was, was a very concise film, and I think it yeah. is. It's It's... As horror films go, it's uh, it's largely um, plot and character driven. Mm-hmm. There's special effects, sure, but I but that's where it is now. Bloodline is not that. It's clearly not that. It's a it's a hugely ambitious um, idea. It's a hugely ambitious screenplay. Yeah, the the, the three movies. In one idea, it, all, it always gives complications. It's kind of three casts. It's three separate costuming ideas and prop ideas and uh, th- three completely different lots of sets. It's not like, you know, you have Bob's apartment that is the featured um, set throughout the film. Yeah. Um, plus, it seemed to me that we were we were pulling major trying to pull major special effects all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and we basically had the same amount of time and the same amount of money as we'd had for Hellraiser 3, I believe. Okay, right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't try to speak authoritatively yeah. on these things. But, but I do know this. Before I got on the plane mm-hmm. from London to L.A., where we shot Bloodline, uh, I had a conversation with the line producer... Uh, who said to me, um, really looking forward to seeing you, um, looking forward to working with you. Um, I want you to know we can't do this. 
Well, she meant she. she? I, that was pretty much what I said. Um, was oh, uh, pardon, sorry, what? Um, uh, and she said, "Well, I've, 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 I've run the numbers every every way we can, uh, and we we can't do it, but we'll give it we'll give it our best shot, hey." <laughs> Uh-huh. And I said, sure. I mean, what she was basically saying was, I, I don't see how we can achieve what's on the page with what we have in the bank, I think was what she was saying to me. Right, right. And it was a, it was a troubled shoot. Um, uh, in what respect? You know, just just the well, budget, I mean. I, I think budget issues. Yeah. Um, uh, we... Um, uh, the 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 kid got chicken pox. Oh. Um, there was a fire on set, um, oh God. Uh, and we were shooting in 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 an old, uh, a big building on Wilshire Boulevard in L.A. Um, oh. uh, some of the electrics caught fire and triggered the sprinkler system uh, in in the building. And once 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 that starts, you know you can't do much. Yeah. And um, they were shooting, shooting non-union in, you know, in the middle of LA, which is tricky mm-hmm. to get away with. And uh, I think, well, the uh, members of the camera crew came to me one day and yeah. said, um, said, uh, Doug, we're, we're thinking of going on strike. Wow. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and they said, but if, if, if we go on strike, they can just get rid of us. And hire a new a new crew. If you go on strike, or if you refuse to cross the picket line, they don't have a movie. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, thank you very much. Um, of emotional blackmail yeah. there. Well, <laughs> you know what I said to them was, I'm I'm a member of two trade unions, so uh, I'm I'm I, I, my instinct is not to cross a picket line, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I have a contract with these guys, so I will need to seek advice via my agents and and SAG and see where I stand in 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 regard to all of this. I mean, as as but and they did go on strike. <clears throat> um, as it happened, I wasn't working that day, and uh, uh, my my makeup artist uh, um, Gary Tunnicliffe didn't didn't cross the picket line anyway. So even right. if I had. Uh, I couldn't have I couldn't have done much, um, um, so but so we 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 lost time because of because of the fire because of because of the 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 the, the kid who was playing Merchant's son in the middle section, yeah. uh, being ill and um, because we lost a day while the um, that dispute was resolved. So inside the the first not very long period of time, um, because we started with the with the middle section, that was the first mm-hmm. section we shot. We'd lost two or three days, maybe, and on a schedule like that, you you how do you make that back up? You pretty much can't. I think there was a suggestion at one point that we should stop halt filming. Wow. But the argument always is that if you if you do that, you'll never start again. That's true. So we we kept on going, and and then there were there were, there were other problems. Uh, 
stacked on top of that as well. So actually, the the, the movie is as good as it is. Yeah, is a bit of a minor miracle. Exactly, we're lucky and we have I, it at all. Yeah, and I <laughs> I think it holds together. Um, fine alan yeah. smithy movie too of course it is yeah and i'm not going to make you go through all the all the other ones after that um but out of the ones that you did after bloodline which ones would you recommend to the audience to take a look at or, or to watch um assuming you want them to watch all of them but if they had to pick out of uh you were in inferno in 2000 um then you did hellseeker which is again what one of my uh, guilty pleasures is is the hellseeker hellraiser um and then you've got deader and hell world uh yeah i think that's when you when you checked out of uh well i didn't i didn't check out that's well, that's, being pinhead, um, sorry <laughs> that's that's the point at which uh um they stopped making them uh yeah um, no but nobody ever said to me we're done it's over and i never said i'm not i'm not doing this anymore um mm. uh it's you know that's that's just the way it was but uh to answer your question mm-hmm. um uh I, I i'm going to agree with you again i would yeah. go to hell hellseeker first mm-hmm. then to deader yeah uh then to hell world and finally to inferno uh, oh. <laughs> um what was wrong with it within with inferno was just working with scott derrickson because obviously no, he went no, on to oh, be no. an absolute yeah, genius he's, filmmaker he's done just fine for, no i didn't have a problem with scott at all yeah um i just didn't think it worked i mean yeah. um uh, uh, um uh, 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 well i've i've already talked about where, where i i felt pinhead was pitched wrongly plus i was i only i i can't really make a judgment on the actual process of making the movie yeah i only worked on the movie for two days ah right okay i mean i'm i think i only have two scenes yeah i mean that's probably one of the the biggest errors you can have for a hellraiser movie take out the titular well and i know i know fans got upset because the only image the only image on the front of the DVD when yeah. it came, because again, it was that was the first, the first of the Hellraiser movies not to go into the cinemas. Mm-hmm. The only image on the front of the DVD was Pinhead. Yeah, just with a different um, like light on you, yellow yeah. lights. Yeah, and then, and then he's and then he's not in the film. Well, okay, you you can make the decision that you're going to you, you're going to make Pinhead's appearance in this movie minimal. Of course, you can do that. That's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't then sell the film solely on that character's image, which gives would certainly give me the impression that the character is front and center in the story again. Yeah. Uh, um, I, uh, w- when I read the screenplay and also seeing the film initially, I thought, "Wow, this is clever! This is clever because mm-hmm. there's nothing here." to tell you you're in a Hellraiser film until you get to the first murder scene. Yeah. And yeah. any Hellraiser fan looking at that knows, takes one look at what's there, and you know everything. Yes. You yeah. know everything. Mm-hmm. You know all the backstory of how the guy found the box and yeah. bartered and what's your pleasure and and got here and, and solved it and opened it, and you know exactly who he met and you know exactly what happened. Yeah. And I thought that this is really very clever. You've kind of run across a Hellraiser film at 90 degrees. Um, if you've never seen a Hellraiser film, 
you would be none the wiser. Exactly. But, um, after that, to be honest, I just I didn't I just didn't think it it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Craig had a pretty thankless task, to be honest. Um, yeah. Because he's on screen all the time, <laughs> and that's always a tough call for an actor, anyway. Yeah. And his character is 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 so unredeemably horrible <laughs> detective joseph thorne yeah yeah there's no there's no there's no point of sympathy with him anywhere mm-hmm. and i think that's tough you know in the same way that heroes without a flaw are just boring i yep. think you know villains without any redeeming features are just you know a bit boring mm-hmm. too yeah uh, and, it's, and it's not a criticism of craig in any way shape or form yeah uh, i just i just don't think it really carries business anywhere i don't think it i don't think it works it was also the first uh, we get this run of three films um and i think this is pretty lazy to be honest mm-hmm. uh, um inferno hellseeker and Dedder, which all have the same thing in common um they're pre-existing screenplays ah. that are they are tweaked to become Hellraiser films. Ah, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So it's almost just to just to latch onto the onto the the brand. They just wow. Um, well, that's maybe why they didn't work as well. Because if the mythos isn't inbuilt directly into the DNA of it, then you're always going to have an inferior product, really. Um, but uh, just to quickly move away before we finish up, because you've given me a lot of your time. Thank you very much, Doug. But <laughs> I want to move over to music very briefly. Cradle of Filth. So ah, I yeah. interviewed on this very podcast, I interviewed your friend Danny Filth. Um, Who's going to interview me, by the way. Um, is he? Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, I believe. I've just been told this. Um, ah. uh, for, for Metal Hammer, I think, at the awesome. beginning of next week, he's going to interview me. Anyway, oh, that's great. Yes. That's great. Because I interviewed him uh, uh, when I did this podcast live at Comic-Con um, mm-hmm. towards the end of last year. And he had nice things to say about you um, just because of the influence I of horror well. films. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he said you were great. Um, but yeah. So how, how did you get involved with him? Was it just your love for the, for the music or because he's a, such a horror fan? Because he's a real diehard horror fan. He's not messing around. Oh, abs- yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. He is. Yes. Yes. Um, I wish I could reciprocate. <laughs> this is where this is where I I become a huge disappointment to my fans. Um, I listen to music all the time. Yeah. Uh, um, I I always have done. Yeah. Um, and I, I I'm going to whisper this very quietly so people won't hear me. <laughs> this is just between you and me. Okay, Doug. I don't like heavy metal. <laughs> You've okay, broken but, a lot of people's hearts. Though that's just between me and don't, you, so yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Nobody knows this. Um I I knew Danny already. Uh, um he when he uh we had a mutual friend in Tony Luke who I I was working with who sadly died uh year two years ago. Oh. Um and so I had certainly met Danny already because um, he was he was making the movie Cradle of Fear. Yeah, and I th- I think at some point there was talk of me being in it, and I seem to remember 
meeting Danny with the director uh, and possibly with Tony as well. And then with Tony, I was doing, uh, um, I was working on his animated uh, movie right. called Dominator, and yeah. Danny was the voice of Dominator. Yeah. So I kind of worked with Danny um, doing his recording sessions. Um, so I I was aware of Danny, and I I I I like Danny, and I. Um, I think he's I I think he's a really talented writer. Yeah. Um he's a lovely guy as well. Oh yes. Very he is. unexpected. He, I, I didn't think very funny. Yeah. And he's just he's this tiny little guy. Yeah. And wh- where the hell does that voice come from? <laughs> I know. Well he's got he's got kind of two voices. He's got the the big basso voice and then he's also he's got his his um falsetto voice yeah. in the cradle as well. Um, and I obviously visually a lot of what heavy metal is about attracts me. And he had done the previous album, uh, is it Beauty and Beauty and the Beast? Yep. Uh, which Ingrid Pitt worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, I, I have said, although I, you know, that of that kind of area of music, I thought cradle of filth were better than most it's just not a music a, a an area of music that i feel drawn to mm-hmm. really um but it very simple um uh the band's manager who was then i've no idea whether she still is uh um faye wolven mm-hmm. called me and said um uh, the band are working on their new album which was uh, 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 Midian? Midian, yes. So and oh, so the right. the, uh, the album was conceived as a kind of tribute to Nightbreed. Yeah. Um, and Danny was wondering if you'd be interested in contributing some spoken word to it. Um, and we don't have very much money. And I asked her what not very much money was, and it was indeed not very much money. Um, uh, but I thought, you know what the heck uh, uh they then had their studios near battle in sussex and i was mm-hmm. in london so i could drive down and spend a day in the sussex countryside and uh so i said uh well you know um send me send me the material give me an idea of what it is danny's looking at so she did, and I said, "Okay, I'm on board." So I drove down to Sussex, and we did the recording, and then we went to the pub, and <laughs> uh, and then I went home, and it was so it was all done in an afternoon, really. Nice. And uh, time went by, and I got a phone call from Faye saying um, the band are working on their new album, and we still don't have very much money. And Danny was wondering if. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I said, "Sure." And, uh, and and then a bit later, I got another phone call, exactly the same phone call. <laughs> so it was Midian, and then I forget the order they came in. Uh, Thornography, yeah, uh, and um, Let's have a look. oh god, uh, Damnation uh, and a Day was the after Midian. Uh, was, oh, was it? Oh, well, I'm missing yeah. an album then. Oh. I didn't realise that. <laughs> so there was Midian, then Damnation. 
Damnation of the Day, then uh, Nymphamphetamine, and then Thornography. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I did Nymph... Nymph... Nymphete- Nymphetamine, that's the one. <laughs> Nymphetamine, yes. Not his best title, I don't think. No. <laughs> Nymph- Nymph- Nymphetamine, then Thornography. That's right, yeah. And and then Godspeed, Godspeed on the Devil's Thunder, which is that's which right. is the Gilles de Ray, yeah. um, which I actually recorded in Danny's house in Suffolk. Oh, awesome. In uh, Ipswich. <laughs> He has a life-size Dalek in his house, which was very Does he cool. really? Well, I, yes. I'm not surprised, I, I, to be fair. He, I think it's bigger than he is. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yes, so, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was joking with him then. That, yeah. um, really, they were just my backing band. And, uh, <laughs> you know, should change their name to Doug Bradley and Cradle of Filth. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I think if you ask Danny, that they probably would. Um, <laughs> But I don't want to keep you any longer. Like, thank you so much for uh, talking to me and uh, answering all the questions I've had for a very, very long time. Um, if people want to get in touch with you in terms of finding out what you're doing next, where are the best ways to get in touch? Um, oh, don't get in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you frequent, but, frequent but, Twitter um, or Facebook uh, or anything like that? Yeah, there's there's a, there's a Facebook page which is a fan page. Yeah, okay. So um, we we post stuff there. I don't get involved. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, I, your I, I have an in, I have an Instagram page. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a Twitter account, but I don't do it. Yep. I steer steer away from Twitter. <laughs> we opened a Twitter account simply to because somebody somebody else. Yeah. Had had started a Twitter account, right? Pretend pretending to be me, ah. and people were starting to follow him. You know, <laughs> so we, we had to get rid of that. Right. Somebody did the same on Instagram recently. Started a, wow. uh, but I, I do, I do have an Instagram page, and there's the website as well. DougBradley.com. Um, DougBradley.com. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I apologise to everyone because it's it's. It's a new website, and uh-huh. the news section of the website is completely blank because <laughs> I'm a lazy. See you next Tuesday, and I just don't get around to to, to um, doing the things that I need to do because I spend um, the best part of two hours sitting on my ass talking to the likes of you. Yep, sorry, Doug, <laughs> but you do update. It's your fault. It is. So blame me. But you do update your appearances. So if people want to come and see you at conventions, they can go to your dougbradley.com and check you out there. I'll put all the links yep. in the show notes for every, everyone to, to see. Um, yeah, we haven't even, we haven't even got round to wrestling. Oh, well, we can talk about wrestling if, if you want. Uh, Not now, you can't. No, no. Okay. I, <laughs> I know you, you're you're the preacher, um, but Blackcraft Cult Wrestling. Yeah, we just did right. the first first live show in Pittsburgh last yeah. Friday, which was uh, such a new um, <laughs> departure for me. For absolutely thrilling experience. I saw the pictures. Uh, it looks amazing. And uh, so we're um, I'm doing the second live show in Anaheim. Oh, when is that? In uh, the beginning of. October, October 4th, I believe. Okay. And then, then in Buffalo, upstate New York, um, in the beginning of December. Awesome. And in the new year and beyond, I hope. So wow. uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, 
it's so far out of left field, I don't even know where to begin. But anyway, we're not going to talk about We're not, that. no. I will put links to that in, in the show notes if anyone's <laughs> interested, though. So, um, okay. Doug, thank you so much for talking to me for, for so long. I felt like I've, I've lived my, through my own Hellraiser film, uh, just speaking to you. <laughs> um, it's long, longer than the average Hellraiser <laughs> It really film. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks again. And uh, if everyone who listens uh, checks out Doug's film, uh, Doug's films and all the ones he, he recommended, all the other Hellraisers that you may not have seen, um, please let I'll me know also, I'll oh, also yeah? very quickly I'll also very quickly mention uh, Lore, uh, which Lore. Uh, L- L-O-R-E. Yeah. Uh, it's an it's a, uh, Amazon Prime original. Um, I, so the, the first series was a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, and I've just done an episode for the second series. Oh, um, Lord, I, I've watched the first series; it's great. Yeah, based on the podcast, it, I, I was I was really uh, yes, yeah, exactly. What's his name? Aaron Mink, Minky Manky? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, so I've just done an episode for the second series. Oh, um, brilliant! Which I believe is being dropped on Amazon on October the nineteenth. Uh, and I played um, uh, D- uh, Dr. Robert Knox, who was the Edinburgh surgeon who commissioned Burke and Hare. Ah, the, the, the grave, grave robbers. robbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. uh, and it, um, shot it in Prague, and had a really great experience. And and everybody's making nice noises about the episode and the series in general so, that's great it is um, a great series watch out for that um, yeah. I'll, I'll also put a link to, to the first season on amazon in the show notes too if anyone wants to check it out um okay thanks once again doug i really appreciate uh, you spending all this time talking to me um and uh, and I've, I've i've just i'm just completing the audio book of barbie wilde's novel Ooh. oh well, what's uh, that called the uh, the venus complex ah. which she, uh, she published uh, several years ago. Barbie, of course, who played the female Cenobite in Hellbound. That's right. Um, uh, uh, that's complete, and so that will be appearing on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon very soon. Brilliant. And he's also got it. his own book, Secret Masks, Behind the Mask of the Horror Actor, which is available in all good uh, online bookshops on Amazon. And and my website. And uh, DougBradley.com. Uh, so thanks yes. once again, Doug. I really appreciate where you, where, 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 where you can get it signed. You can't do can that you? on Amazon. Yes, oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, um, so yeah, so thank you once again. Um, hopefully um, I get to uh, speak to you again at some point. Hopefully for not as long, because um, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate it, Doug. Thanks very much. All right. You're very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.